So welcome to another podcast from Cranfield, colour like no other. And I'm delighted this time not to be in South Wales, but to be Liz Chalfin. Tell me, where am I exactly? (laughs) Welcome, Michael. You're in Florence, Massachusetts. Okay. And it's the home, both of yourself and the wonderful Zia May, uh, which we'll talk about a a little later. But um, this part of New England, am I right in saying it's a, a number of states? It's a lovely little provincial town. I've had a walk around it this morning and bought myself some rolls from the bakers, and everyone's very friendly. Um, but so we, before we talk about, as I say, the, the, the studio, how did you personally end up here? Yeah, um, great question. I'm originally from Southern California, so this is a long way from where I was born. It is. Um, but my sister came here in the 1970s to go to graduate school. And she settled here. She married a local guy, raised her family here. And so I had visited this area quite a lot to see my sister and her family. Uh, you and don't miss the hot weather. You're not gravitating back down to California. Or... So, you know, ask me on a snowy, icy day in February, and I will say, yes, I miss the, the weather. But no, I love the seasons. Yeah. I love the transitions. And I can see you do get the snow because there's a number of piles of snow on street corners I see so we're speaking at the end of March you've had a rough old winter of it it's been the storms that came through did they hit you here or was closer to the coast we had a snowless winter up until March I mean we had nothing and it was frightening because you know we know it's from global warming that we don't get our traditional winter but then End of March, this last part of this month, we were hit with two really big storms. And they were covered internationally on the news, really uh, very tough. Now, you're here, Liz, your surname, Chalfin, is it uh, murdered on a weekly basis when people mispronounce it? Yes, yes. What's the best they come up with? Well, I get Chafin a lot, I get Chaflin, but I get ZMAs a lot. Okay. People think I'm Zia, oh, right, so okay. I get called Zia all the time. Yeah. So that would be a good way to... to um, uh, actually ask you about the name. I looked into it and ZMA seems to be something to do with grass, it seems to be agriculture. Uh, how does the name come about? What does it mean to the general public who know nothing of this and, and what does it mean here? Fantastic question. Well, it's um, it's the botanical name, it's Latin actually, it's the botanical name for the plant sweet corn. And I was inspired by an art project that was done by the artist Mel Chin many, many decades ago. And he did a project in uh, Minneapolis where he took this piece of polluted, contaminated earth and he planted all these different plants that are hyper accumulators. Mm-hmm. So they pull the heavy metals out mm-hmm. of the soil and restore the earth to a usable, healthy dirt again. Yeah. And one of the plants that he used was sweet corn because it's a hyperaccumulator. So they can plant the corn, it pulls the heavy metals out of the soil, they can burn the corn and recapture some of those metals, and it restores the earth. And I thought, this is a beautiful metaphor for yes. what I'm trying to do with printmaking is take this toxic, yeah. traditionally toxic medium and make it safer for the artists yeah. and the earth and the environment. So that's a beautiful segue into the work of ZMA today. But 
it's been going for how many years now? 23. I founded it in 2000. Wow. And, and so right from the outset, this uh, desire to make printmaking available to all in a safe way was one of the founding motivations for you? Absolutely. It was part of the original mission of the studio. Um, I had been teaching in college um, context for about nine, ten years before I founded the studio. And that's where I started to kind of discover that people were exploring safer practices, new methods, developing new products. And I introduced it in my college classes, which was great, but I was really interested in um, finding a way to reach people who weren't in school anymore, who weren't in an institution, who would do this as a lifelong practice and not just their, you know, three or four years at university. Yeah. So for yourself, because you're, you're a printmaking in your own right, do, do yes. you have much time to print make? Or, uh... Well, I've always had sacred Mondays. Okay. I always keep one day a week yeah. in my own studio. And then I go on a residency now and then. I carve out time other times. I, I do keep a constant practice. I would love to devote more time to it, but I think of this community building as part of my artistic yeah, practice as yeah. well. That's beautifully put. I, I know it's interesting because we manufacture uh, printmaking because you know, and artist paints. And people will sometimes say to me, you know, well, you, with all those uh, beautiful colours, do you paint yourself? To be honest, it's probably a bit like working in a factory that makes chocolate cake. I imagine you go off chocolate cake or you're too exhausted <laughs> to eat it and there must be an element of that for you. But your, your, your doors are open here. I ought to describe the building. It's a fantastic red brick uh, former factory from sort of 1920s, I'm guessing. Mid-1800s. Oh, wow. A lot 1840s, older. 50s. Yeah. And it, it's, its uses over the years... Oh, it's been so many things. It started as a cutlery factory. Um, actually, before this structure was built on this land was a print shop. Okay, so, so there is a, a there's a history. Home there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it was a cutlery factory for over a hundred years, mm. and then um, it's just been all kinds of small business incubation things. Yes. Um, and when we bought it, it was a maternity clothing warehouse. Yeah. And, and what is lovely about it is it's retained so many of its old features. On these podcasts, we genuinely like noises off. And we've had some there of somebody walking on the lovely floorboards. You can hear creak and, and the, 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 the walls are still um, wide, uh, lined there with pitch pine. And it's just such a lovely, lovely building. So what kind of people step over the threshold? Are they... Professionals that happen to live locally? Is it people who come? Because I ought to say there's um, you provide residential accommodation here and there's further accommodation in the town. So, so who is it who's coming? Do, is there an identikit uh, member or attendee or are they different? It really runs the gamut. Um, I mean, most people come here because of our um, safer less toxic and non-toxic approach. So there's that kind of desire. When we first started, um, that was really the draw for our members initially, were people who had to leave printmaking for health reasons, sensitivities to certain chemicals and things. And when I established the studio, they found a place where they could come back to the practice, which was great. But we have everyone from professional artists who make their living off their work to hobbyists who just want an experience with something they haven't explored before and the whole gamut in between. And part of your um, 
as I understand it, the, the green initiative, if you like, is that you will allow people from studios to, to learn and there's a certification process or at least a, uh, an, an awarding of a, uh, um, a body of, of once they've understood, they go away with an understanding and hopefully inspiration to take back to their college, university, shared Absolutely, space. yeah. I mean, education is the center of our mission. Yep. And that happens in many ways, through formal workshops that happen here where people come to the studio, they have a great teacher who teaches them hands-on and they get to get their hands dirty and explore. Through our membership, people who are working, you know, on a weekly basis, they're in here doing their own work. And there's so much sharing that happens informally in those settings. Um, we have online classes. We have video tutorials. So our mission and is totally educational. Even our exhibitions have an educational component, um, the mentoring program. Our goal is to show that safer printmaking, you're not compromising quality. You can still do just about anything you could do in traditional methods and share that, get it out there. All our research is for free out there. It's important to us that people have this knowledge and share it, whether it's as a professor in your classes or as you know, a friend, come over, let's make prints together. And I sense that um, you balance the, the two because whilst you, you take the subject very seriously, it strikes me you don't take yourselves too seriously. And some lovely quirky thing when I was being shown around this morning, you showed me amongst the various gallery spaces, one, and I must say, an impressively large toilet area, uh, uh, bathroom, whatever you call them over here, uh, is a gallery in its own right, and people would choose to have their work put in there. And I think you described it as the intimate gallery or something exactly. like that. <laughs> but also when you were showing me around um, a number of young people working in the studios, what, what is their role? Um, because it's clearly not just you, there's a team here, and part of the team are the intern system you described? Right, so we have a staff of th three, um, well, three and a quarter. Um, my, so it's a family business, basically. Mm. My husband, my daughter, and I are kind of the main staff, and we have a part-time shop technician who works about five hours a week maintaining the mm. equipment and the baths and things. Um, then we have a uh, monitor program. So we have studio monitors who are here whenever the studio is open to help members set the pressure on the press, maybe, you know, process a plate, something yeah. like that. Um, so it means people's limited time is really efficient because exactly. they're being supported the whole way. They're yeah. being supported and I as a business owner know someone's taking care of the yeah. place, so, yeah. which is so reassuring. Mm -hmm. Then we have an internship program which isn't limited to a certain age but it tends to be college students or someone who's recently graduated and they're kind of looking for that place to land after graduation before they go into the big world and they conduct our research. Mm. Um, and then our membership is people anywhere from, you know, 20 to 80 mm. years old. Yeah. So it runs the whole gamut. And of those, are they all printmakers or are some are any of them painters because there's obviously a difference between the, the two mindsets absolutely no there's painters and there's sculptors okay. too um, which is interesting because they find that printmaking somehow informs these their other ways of working yeah. so printmaking becomes a part of their work but their main work might be in painting or might be in sculpture yeah. so 
changing tack a little, in your time in printmaking, both um, running ZMA and indeed before, in a sense, you started up at the perfect time. If it had been any later, there may have been no printmaking left because we saw it being dismantled 30 years ago at such an alarming rate. And when colleges and universities, quite rightly, many aspect, uh, aspects of it were unsafe, but also it takes up a lot of space. It's yes. quite expensive, the presses are not cheap. And you can see if you were a college strapped for cash, you gladly get rid of the press room. And um, sadly, we saw that happen a lot. And also, let's face it, back in the day, printmaking facilities were often in the basement in every respect. Exactly. Uh, sort of technically in terms of investment and physically, which meant, you know, so sadly, I remember in the UK, a college closing, it had a particular beautiful, it was a, called a Wharfdale auction flatbed press. The auction bit simply mean it was so large, it was for doing the auction posters which would be put outside the uh, cattle market. And it was so heavy and it was so entombed that uh, we were consulted, you know, would we have it? And, and none of us could afford even to take it out of the building. It had got stuck. So that was a long-winded, I haven't even got to the question yet, so forgive me for that. But we saw Kit disappear. We saw the spotlight on printmaking for being, in many respects, unsafe. People like you came along at the right time, um, materials improved, working practices improved, PPE Im improved, and understanding of how to do things safely improved. And new life was, in a sense, brought back into printmaking. We saw it again in COVID when printmaking had yet another uh, um, really a, a lovely uh, infusion of energy. Has that, was that your experience? Because, of course, people couldn't come in here. Right. But tell me about how the Zoom, the uh, relating to people using media works. Sure. Um, I'll just interject one little thing that your story reminded me of. When I was teaching college, the whole reason I got into Safer Printmaking mm -hmm. is they, uh, I was teaching at this little college in Southern California, and they had moved the print department into the basement, the way. into yes. the old gymnasium, no ventilation, and they asked me to teach etching. Yeah. And you consider all those awful solvents and the vapors, which are dreadful. Yeah. And that was when I said, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Um, but um, COVID, so yeah, um, Sheldon and my husband and I were actually in Venice, Italy, when COVID hit. We didn't think we'd get back to the yeah. States. Uh, we were there in February of 2020. Um, we came back, um, the studio had to shut down completely. There was, I think, six weeks we had to be closed um, by the government. Um, and we had to transition really quickly and pivot really quickly in order to stay afloat. Our members were extremely generous in terms of still paying their dues and people bought gift certificates, but we felt like we had to find a way to connect with our community. So we did two things. We first started um, our teachers. We have an amazing faculty, and they're so generous. And they started filming themselves in their own studios at home. Yeah. And so we had the first kind of very 
bare bones, homemade video tutorials yeah. that we could put out there. And we sold them, I think, for $30. And doesn't it seem a lifetime ago? It was a lifetime ago. Isn't it ago. strange? It is so strange. Yeah. And, and so they were being sent out to, or people Zoomed in, or how did that... So that, th those we recorded, we did, we put them on Vimeo, yep. and people paid to have access to them. That ended up being quite successful, and it kind of really lit a light bulb for us, and we said, well, why, let's tr invest some money, buy some lights, some recording equipment, mm -hmm. microphones, cameras, and we set up a little video studio here at the studio. So the teachers would then do their courses and demonstrations here, and we could package them up like, um, you know, oh, a little package, and um, we started an online school. So now we have the ZMA's printmaking online school. So who had to learn overnight how to hold the camera and the boom? All and the rest of us. Of it? <laughs> so Kay, who is, yeah. um, you know, came on, learned yeah. how to do video editing. Yeah. We have a member who's a monitor, one of our young members who's also a filmmaker. Yeah. So we hired her to do the, the video recording. Yeah. Um, I had to learn how to write scripts and become a director, and our teachers had to learn how to be talented. It, I ought to say we, we likewise had to do quite a bit uh, of recorded messages, and the most depressing one was we did a, a quite a good take, as we thought, and then realized that when we thought we had been recording, we had not been. And so I think it was mainly... We've been through that. There was exciting moments of showing our feet then to nothing. Yes, but exactly. It was so, so you kept people linked, if you like, with the studio. So they... they but were the... Did, did the professionals, were they the ones that ran, ran for the hills? Because in a sense, they found they were no longer inspired so because this is a um uh, some are suggesting that the hobbyist um that those who use printmaking as a outlet found that it was something lovely to use during the pandemic but for those whose living came from it it was almost too terrifying that they simply couldn't carry on was that not I don't think that was the case because in addition to the video tutorials, then we also started to offer on Zoom online, live online courses. And um, those, some were hands-on where, you know, the teacher would be demonstrating on the camera how to make books or how to do mono printing or dry point or something like that. And then the students would follow along okay. in their yeah. um, homes and then they'd have critique sessions. But we also started some that were more about um, artists discussing their practice and getting feedback from one another. And uh, we did some woodcut ones. And these groups that started up in these Zoom classes three years ago are still going on. Lovely. They'll yeah. do an eight-week session and then yeah. they'll say, we want more. Yeah. And they want to work with that teacher longer. And for years Lovely. now... We also started a virtual lunch group yeah. that started out as a casual once a week meeting to just talk about how we're all dealing with the pandemic. Yeah. It turned into artists sharing their work yeah. with each other. It's been going every week yeah. since the beginning of the pandemic. Do you know, I think that's a uniquely printmaking thing, far more than painters. Painters are a very lonely lot, but you printmakers, you know, you meet together you, you're never satisfied, you never reach the promised land because there's always tomorrow's print which is right. going to be better than today's. <laughs> but that's a lovely thing that you support one another. But uh, tell us, if you've not been to the studio before, you knock, your, uh, knock the, the, the front door at ZMAs, what do you come in, what do you find, what's the kit here, what sort of rooms are you going to lead us through? Sure, so you enter into our gallery and we have about 10 
exhibitions a year. So you'll see prints on the wall, unframed. You can get right up close, see the ink on the paper. Um, then you go into our teaching studio. So we have a beautiful, large studio where we hold our workshops. Um, it has two big presses. It has our etching facility. It has our Vandercook. Um, off of that is our dark room for our photopolymer processes. The Lou Gallery, as yes. you mentioned. Uh, and then the Annex, which is the private studio for artists in residence. And we get artists from all over the world who yeah. come. Um, we're booking into 2024 and beyond already. It's yeah. a very popular residency program. Um, our screen printing facility and our digital facility is also downstairs. And then when you come up the well-worn staircase to our member studio, um, you'll find eight workstations and three presses and our library and our lunch lounge mm, yeah. and the apartment that our artisan residents mm. live in. You, I don't know if you were aware of it, but earlier you used the term faculty. Is that something, a term you used intentionally, you, you know? Um, because faculty would tend to be associated with uh, an educational research establishment, which does go on here through your uh, intern uh, system. But remarkably, you do that and the data is available to all. Have I understood that correctly? The, 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 uh... Well, there's two. We, do, we have our fingers in many, yeah. many things. So um, the research that we do is free and accessible to everyone. And that's very intentional because we want people to share and to spread the word. Um, we do have a faculty. Uh, we have a group of artist teachers who've been teaching at ZMAs for decades now. They form our core faculty. They are the ones who drive our mentorship program because we also have this wonderful program where we pair an individual artist with one of our faculty and they work one-on-one -on -one for 10 months to develop a body of work or overcome an artistic block or apply for graduate school or residencies. It's all personally tailored. And so and then we bring in guest artists from all over the country and all over the world to teach specialized workshops. Yeah. And this is who we consider our faculty, the people, the, the artists, educators who come here to teach. Yeah. And if somebody wanted to commission you with work, I'm not buttering you up because I want to give you a next technical problem in inks, but uh, so if somebody had a particular uh, challenge or wanted you to look at, uh, or the team here to look at a particular scenario, um, they can give you uh, and talk with you about taking on uh, questions like that? Absolutely. We do consultations. We also do contract printing work. I'm mm. really excited. Next week, we've got an artist from Morocco who's going to be here. I'm mm. going to be working on um, printing etchings with him. We have done um, contract jobs yeah. for artists from yeah. all over the world. So that's also very exciting is to have that kind of a interactive experience that's very different where you're trying to help someone realize their vision yeah yeah and you yourself are very much the inspiration behind this place and your your face is well known around the world have you started traveling again post pandemic or is that yet to that's yet to happen i look forward to it i mean uh venice was our last trip and that was right when uh covid hit yeah, yeah. um the city closed down while we were there it yeah. was quite bizarre and wonderful and yeah. scary yeah. but you made it back here in time and uh, yeah so perhaps during, during the covid years you, at least you had the studio to yourself and, and no excuse for not producing during those times right right
Thank you um, so much for, for uh, painting such a helpful picture uh, of the studio. Um, we're meeting um, some of the members later today. We're looking forward to that. And uh, the, the, it's part of your programme. So you do, in a sense, outreach through the year. But are you well known in this community or, or what would you want to sort of cover in the next two or three years? What, what's going to happen next for ZMA and, and uh, what's on your bucket list to do? That's a great question. Um, we're at a moment of self-reflection and thinking about transition because okay. um, I do want to retire someday yep. and what's the future of the studio going to look like at that point and yep. how do we position ourselves to make that happen? Yep. So we're thinking very much about that. Um, one of the things we did during COVID was a virtual world tour where we worked with studios from around the world that I had visited yeah. or had connections to. And we took an audience of about 200 people on a weekly visit yeah. to virtually yeah, to these studios. Brilliant? They got a tour and a little demonstration. Yeah. That's all available yeah. on our school website as yeah. well if people want to revisit that. Yeah. But those kinds of things, connecting, I, I would like to be part of connecting this international network of artists who are interested in safer printmaking yeah. Yeah. and um, really helping to create something that is more international yeah. and more connected. I think we've discovered that in recent years, haven't we, that you don't, whilst you happen to be in New England, you don't have to be, you can be anywhere these days. Exactly. And if you phone somebody up, they, you can be talking to them in, in Cape Town or Cambridge or wherever, you know, really it doesn't matter if with this, um, a shared vision. Um, and I think that uh, I shouldn't put responsibility on your shoulders alone by saying the world looks to you, Liz, but certainly you, <laughs> you set a very good uh, example. And uh, thank you so much for uh, welcoming me here. Uh, look forward to spending uh, longer with you today. Um, how do people find out what website uh, should they look at? Thank you. Um, zmazprintmaking.com is our website, our main website, and zmazprintmaking.podia.com is our online school. Great. But you can access it all from zmazprintmaking.com. Well, thank you again, and uh, really lovely talking with you. And uh, this is part of the series of podcasts available on the Cranfield website, Colour Like No Other.